A Transworld Airline 707 is taking off out of Rome when something goes terribly wrong. What caused this flight to crash before it hardly left the ground? Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. Sorry if you hear a little bit of noise. Milo is here with a toy. He got his BarkBox today. Yes, he did. And he's very proud of his BarkBox toys. He's he's crinkly. We're not sponsored. It just, that's what he's doing. BarkBox sponsor us, question mark? I don't know. I'm sure we could figure out how to do that if we wanted to. <laughs> do one of those affiliate things or whatever. Uh, housekeeping stuff. Not a lot. What year is it? I don't know. <laughs> I, I am so groggy today. We had our concert yesterday. And I just, I don't feel caught up. I don't know. I slept just fine last night. I slept like eight hours, but. I I was, I'm okay. I took a nap earlier. So, not much has really changed since last week, though. Uh, no, not really. I mean, we, we ended up recording an, a, the post episode for tonight. Yes. So we will be doing a listener episode after we record what? this. I know. We're going to try to start getting caught up on those. several people who are like, uh, yo, what the hell? Uh, <laughs> I understand. Believe me, it wasn't our intention um, to blow you guys off on those. Time yeah. just is irrelevant and has no meaning to we us. We like, didn't get them for a while, and so we had another one like queued up to go. And then everything got busy, and then 50 billion people submitted the <laughs> yeah. And now and we now, have enough for, like, a lot of them now. There's so many. Like, we have enough probably for three listener episodes. Oh, God. There's so many. Okay. Um, well, we're doing one tonight. Yes. Which is the one that I'm not, that's not included in those three. Yeah. yeah, yeah. already done months ago that we've never yeah. recorded. So, so we're going to try to get caught up on these. So you might have a lot of listener episodes coming out here. I think we got rapidly. A, we had a good groove going before our vacation, like recording twice a week. So we could do that for a while to catch up on listener episodes. Schedules pending. Yes. Schedules pending. Cause now all of the holiday stuff too. But that said But even with the holiday stuff, it my, ain't it ain't September. My schedule is considerably more open now. Oh yeah. Me too. Don't After get me wrong. Had, the last thing I needed to yeah. do was yesterday. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, like the next couple of weekends. Not a lot on the calendar, actually, yeah. which is kind of nice. <laughs> actually, it's very nice. I, I won't lie. I feel like it has been... To have a Saturday where I don't have anything I have to do. Yeah. Would be I, amazing. I feel like it's been almost a year <laughs> since the last time that happened. So I promise we're going to get caught up on some of these things. Just everything And the Miranda episodes. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And uh, the... <laughs> Patreon Zoom calls, because we're also wildly behind on those. <laughs> Just by a month, but... But still. I don't think we're going to end up going to Seattle, probably. No, so. that's fine. We can do something else, because <laughs> we have plenty of things to catch up on. And just just exist yes. for a little while also. That being said, this is a short episode, so be prepared. Yes, it is. Just like the last episode, this episode will be short. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Which is why we have time to do a listener episode after this episode. That is right. Do all the normal things. Check out the the all the, the socials and, and, and all the other stuff. Thank you to Rich for letting us know that our Twitter got hacked. Yes, or our X. Oh, whatever. Whatever. It is now. Yes. Um, but I yes. fixed it. I changed the password. Yep. 
And I deleted all the tweets that were what? not us that tweeted. Great. Why but did it tweet? It was like some BS about being scammed or whatever. Of course. Pe- and whatever. Why people got to be dumb? I don't know. It's dumb. All right. Anyway. Anyway. What are we covering today, Nick? You won't believe it when I say it until you understand why. Yeah, because it's, uh, it's technically the thing we said we'd <laughs> yeah. cover. It's the thing we said we'd never do. And we're not. <laughs> this is TWA 800. From 1964. From 1964. <laughs> this is not the TWA 800 that everybody knows. This is not the TWA 800 with all the controversies behind it. Nope. If you're going to Google it, look up the one that says 1964. Yes. This one is very dramatic, though, as well. So stay tuned. But it is quite short because... The report was short. It had all of the parts of a normal report. Just very short. Who are we thanking for this one? Thank you to Matt for recommending this. Thanks, Matt. We're still in your series. I think this is the last of his. Nope. I take it back. There's There's (laughs) one more. One more. All right. All right. All right. We're almost through his series. So, yes, this happened in 1964. This happened specifically on November 23rd. So this is actually a anniversary accident. Eh, almost. Not quite. Pretty darn close. This comes out on the 14th. Great. Pretty darn close. Whatever. Almost the 50th anniversary, but it's only 49 years. So this was a Boeing 707, the 300 variant, with the tail number November 769 Tango Whiskey. And yes, this is TWA Airlines, which, well, that's redundant, but. Transworld Airlines. That's what TWA is. Yes. In case anybody needs a refresher. Are you ready for this? Because the the routing for this flight was ridiculous. And we're talking about just one leg, of course. But the routing for this flight was from Kansas City. R.I.P. to the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. We we, We are recording this the day that the Broncos beat your butts. Yeah. Pretty hard. This is the only thing that we beat. Yeah. we don't get this this season. Let me have this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, and that's only because their quarterback had the flu. And it was it snowed here, so there's small advantage. I don't know. It, yeah, whatever. Take what you will out of it. One of the Canadian security guards gave me for being a Broncos fan, so <laughs> I'm taking this. Whatever. Anyways, started in Kansas City, but at the time they were actually using the Kansas City downtown airport as their commercial airport. Which is also strange because TWA did a lot of operations out of Kansas City and they built that the Kansas City International about this time, which has now been completely redone and is much better, let me tell you, than the old one. But the old one definitely had some TWA vibes. Anyways, they started in, the, in Kansas City, went to Chicago, O'Hare, then JFK, then Paris or Lee, then Milan, then Rome, then Athens, then Cairo. Jesus. They took yes. Trans World seriously. Yeah, they took it very seriously. A lot of airlines used to do this kind of stuff when airplanes didn't have the range that they have now. Specifically, they did this because it was easier. There's, there's a few justifications for it. One, they didn't used to have enough, basically, demand to run any one of those routes full, but carrying people from any one place along that routing to any one place along that routing meant that the airplane could stay relatively full most of the way. 
Can you imagine if you were trying to get from Kansas City to Cairo? <laughs> no. <laughs> I imagine. It takes so long. <laughs> Days. Don't get me wrong. It's a 707. It's still a jet aircraft. They can cover distance pretty quickly. But still, that would be just exhausting. This is early jet aircraft, though. Yes. It's still fast, but it's exhausting. Actually, arguably, the earlier jet aircraft actually operated faster than the aircraft the jet aircraft do now. And that's not even actually arguably. That's fact. But still... It, it wasn't the matter of them going slow. It was the matter of the fact that they couldn't go super long distances. Right. Because of their fuel capacity. Right. Fuel capacity. And the other thing was... Efficiency. Well, efficiency. But then we had the over the ocean part, right? And over longer distances part where they weren't allowed to operate long distances in certain parts of the world because there weren't basically... There wasn't protection for them in case something went wrong. Now we have ETOPS. Now the world has more large airports that can support aircraft in diversions should they need it. So a lot of things have changed. And now, because ticket prices are generally cheaper, demand has always been high for people to get places. They just figured with aircraft that it costs a lot of money at the time to get people from one place to another. So people didn't fly. No. Still. Yet. And now it's cheap enough that the demand remains high. It's higher than it's ever been, of course. But we can actually, people can actually afford to do it. To, yeah. Flying to fly. is much, much, much more accessible than it's ever been. So now any one of these routes could probably be covered and be just relatively one. full. I yeah. mean, that's just, just the truth. One flight to one of those places. Right. Or even just one connection along the way. And that's it. Like, not all of these ridiculous stops. Yeah, I'm like, no one's going straight from Kansas City to Cairo, though. No, but they're probably stopping in, like, Chicago or JFK and then go to Cairo. Like, that that makes a lot more sense, <laughs> logistically. Anyways, we will be talking about the Rome to Athens leg, the second to last. Okay. The captain for this flight was Vernon William Lowell. He was 44 years old. At the time, he had 17,408 hours total of which 2,617 were on the 707, so decent amount of experience. All of this flight crew, kind of like last week, all of this flight crew are almost exactly the same age. They're all in their 40s. It's because of the time period. Yes. You might the note... The war! <laughs> the, the war! war! <laughs> you might note this is in the 60s. The so, war! The war! They were all the in the war in their 20s. Yep. The first officer... I don't have names for the rest of the crew, by the way. I only got the captain's name. That's it. So, again, very limited information, actually, on this. And it, the report was so short, and all of the information online, because it's such a little covered and not oh, very well known. Report, yeah. Yeah. Like, the crazy thing about this is even to the extent that on the Wikipedia page, like, the references and external things, there's was one. Was this? It was one. It was the report. That's it. That's all that was on the Wikipedia page was the report. And so the whole thing on the Wikipedia page comes from the report. It's the only reference. That's it. The ASN, that's it. <laughs> okay. The ASN is just like the history of flight paragraph. Yeah. That's pretty much it. <laughs> so, anyways, not a lot of information on this, but the report had most of the pieces, so we were able to put together an episode. First officer was male. He was 46 years old. At the time, he had 17,419 hours, which pretty was similar, which was more than the captain by just 11 hours. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's minuscule. 11 hours. He had 1,269 hours on the 707, which was a solid 1,400 less than the captain. 
which is a decent chunk. The second officer, which I think was actually a first officer, but I'm not sure, or a second captain. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Basically a relief pilot. That's what we know. Had 9,928 hours total. He was 41 years old, by the way, uh, of which he had 1,920 hours on the 707. So he actually had the second most on the 707 overall. He was actually the least experienced in the cockpit at just under 10,000 hours. So putting some things in perspective, because there's one more crew member, just to put some things in perspective, at just under 10,000 hours, he was the least experienced in the cockpit. Good grief. Which makes this by far and away the most experienced crew I think we've ever talked about as a whole. There's probably more hours in this cockpit than we've ever talked about. The last crew member was the flight engineer, who was also male and was the oldest in the cockpit at 47 years old. He had 14,231 hours total, of which 1,308 hours were on the 707. So he still had a very respectable amount of hours. And all of them had more than 1,000 hours on the 707. Solidly experienced crew. Anyways, for the flight from Rome to Athens, there were to be 62 passengers and 11 crew, which sounds grossly disproportionate to what we do today. However... This was pretty standard at the time for the 707 because the expectation was a really high level of service, service, customer service. Yes, in the air. So there was typically more staff members per passengers. Yeah. And also the airplane wasn't full. But 62 for a 707 was actually still quite a bit because they were pretty large seats generally. Yeah. The 707 was built wide enough technically to have a 3-3 or a 2-3 configuration. A 3-3 would be really tight, to be honest. It's very similar to the 737 in terms of size, or a 2-3, but they were almost always operated in a 2-2 configuration, and they were sizable seats. Yeah. Because luxury. Because luxury. These were, at the time, the height of, like, they were the, the, the king of the fleet. Right. The 707s. They were the international aircraft because they were the jet aircraft. At this point, we still didn't yet have the 747 or the 737. However, the 727 was in existence, as was the DC-8. The flight pushed back and the engines were started. The flight then taxied from the parking area at 2 o'clock p.m. local time. The first officer was to be the pilot flying, while the captain was to be the pilot monitoring for this leg. The flight taxied to runway 25 at Rome. The flight was then cleared for takeoff, and they began their takeoff roll at 2.07 p.m. Everything happens very fast from here. Fair warning. This, this, again, very short. As the aircraft passed 80 knots, the captain noticed that the number four engine pressure gauge indicated that basically the engine had zero thrust. Uh-oh. So the number four engine was doing basically nada. Since they were still below V1, the captain opted to abort the takeoff and took control of the aircraft from the first officer, because that was still a thing that they did, because no CRM yet. The aircraft was about 800 to 900 meters down the runway at this point, so a decent distance, but still had some runway left. Yeah. The captain began slowing the aircraft using the thrust reversers and brakes, but the aircraft was not slowing down nearly as fast as they were expecting, and that became quickly apparent. Also, 
what became quickly apparent, was that the aircraft was veering to the right. The aircraft was veering to the right quite abruptly, too. And they were having to counteract that, which seems a little strange, right? They were veering to the right so much so that the right main landing gear was actually grazing the grass in the runway edge on the right side of the runway. Reverse thrust was then reduced on the two right engines in an attempt to bring the aircraft back to the center line. However, the aircraft continued to veer to the right and eventually struck a construction vehicle, or specifically a pavement roller, which is a very solid piece of construction equipment, heavy, with the number four engine. That piece of construction equipment was in a construction area on a taxiway, where it was meant to be. The number four engine sheared from the aircraft when it struck the construction equipment, immediately igniting a fire. The aircraft traveled a further 260 meters before finally coming to a stop. Now with a raging fire. Because the, the engine sheared off? Yes. And there's fuel everywhere. Everywhere. Evacuation efforts were started immediately. However, much of the cabin was already filling with smoke and fire, which made evacuating difficult and slow. They proved that there was a few things. We'll talk about it later on, but there's a few things that went quite wrong with evacuating this aircraft. Of course. Yes. Because there's always is. They found some flaws in evacuating this aircraft, period, with kind of with the design, basically. 23 or 24, we'll talk about this in a minute, but this number is a little confusing. 23 or 24 of the people managed to evacuate the aircraft. According to the report, it was 24. According to other sources, it was 23. What other sources? I thought the Wikipedia page only had the one source. Yes. And that's where it pulls from, and the ASN says the same thing. And so I'm like, where do they get that number? Because the report says 24 people managed to evacuate. But then the fire had spread to the fuel tanks during that time and caused a sizable explosion. Great. Seen from everywhere, because this is still at the airport in Rome. So, I'm sorry. I think I wasn't paying full attention at the Mm -hmm. beginning of the episode. So Mm -hmm. that's on me. But... Mm -hmm. They were trying to take off. Yep. And the four, they number four engine had no thrust. Thinking, so they aborted. Yep. And Still they veered well, to the right. Yes. And then it was veering heavily to the right while they were trying to reverse. And was not decelerating as fast as it should have. No. So then suddenly they struck some construction equipment that was on a taxiway because they were so far to the right, which and sheared the, the right. Big boomy. And, yes. And all, okay. Got sheared it. the number four engine, which is the furthest one on the right, the outboard on the right. The sizable explosion from the fuel tanks unfortunately engulfed the other 50 on board. The other 50 what? Or 49, according to the report. Passengers. Oh, oh. Uh, oh. Passengers and crew. Oh, oh. The other 49 on board. Oh. According to the report, one crew and three passengers made it out uninjured. Five crew and 15 passengers were injured, but made it out. Five crew and 44 passengers perished in the accident. I believe the captain survived. He did. Interesting. But I think actually some of the other flight crew did not. His account was vital in the analysis. Yes. So, that's it for my part. It happened. It happened very dramatically, very quickly. Things that should have been relatively normal procedure turned into not normal very quickly. And basically that's it. Oh, okay. 
Okay. Well, so the big question here is why didn't they? Why weren't they able to slow down? And why was the number four engine not working? Right. Because mm-hmm. they had flown all the way over the ocean with this thing, right? Yeah. Huh. Decent questions. The biggest question is, why weren't they slowing down, and why did it veer to the right? Right. The number four engine could have something to do with that, but we'll let you pick up from here. So, this investigation was performed by a question mark. Oh. Big ol' question mark. Because Uh, this report was an ICAO circular. Correct. I know the Civil Aeronautics Board was involved. Yes. So, I'm inclined to say that they performed the investigation, or at least part of it. Part of it, because part of this was also written definitely local. Because, for example, the distance that they had traveled was in meters. Dude, I don't know. So they definitely had local help. I stand by question mark. Yep. But, as I was saying, they the CAB was not the one to publish the report. This was published as an ICAO circular. The one black box, the flight data recorder, was retrieved from the wreckage and analyzed by both the CAB and by Boeing. The analysis was performed primarily through combining the FDR information with the interview from the captain. During the takeoff roll, the captain used his left hand to control steering at the lower speeds while also handling the engine pressure ratio, or EPR, fine trim controls. Once they reached 80 knots, the first officer took over steering per the airline's procedures. A few seconds after reaching 80 knots, the captain noticed that the EPR reading for engine 4 was zero thrust. But there also was not any yawing, which certainly would have happened with that kind of asymmetric thrust. Right. One whole engine out out of four. Don't get me wrong. It's you not the, sa- it's not the same as two engines. there would still be a little bit. But there, it, would, it would be pretty significant still. And there wasn't. It's also worth noting, though the captain could not have known at the time, that investigators found no malfunction with the number four engine in this regard. So it was working just fine. So the indication was incorrect. Correct. Any- but then wouldn't they be, have been able to stop perfectly fine, though? Anyway... While checking the number four instruments, the amber warning light for the number two engine reverse thrust went on. This is the one piece I left out. Indicating that the clamshell doors of the thrust reverser were no longer stowed. Once again, the FDR indicated steady acceleration and heading, and that the takeoff thrust of engine number two was unimpaired. So he's getting indications from engine four and engine two, but everything is fine. Everything seemed pretty normal on the takeoff roll, actually. But there's no way the captain could have known any of this. And there's no way he could have known that everything was technically fine just looking at his instruments, so he made the professionally and procedurally correct decision and aborted takeoff. Yeah, but then why did it go so bad then? Like, there's not a reason. If everything's fine, right? If the engines are working like they should, why the (laughs) Mind you, half half my notes are already done, so. Okay. It happens fast from here. You're back. Why the He estimated that he had done so between 80 knots and V1, probably somewhere around 100 knots is what he said. The FDR said they aborted at 106 knots, so good estimate. He was pretty close. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so far everything is correct. Right. The crew properly reduced power, applied brakes, raised spoilers, applied reverse thrust, all at a speed well below V1. Everything so far is correct. I have two paragraphs left. So then I repeat, what the But then they started to yaw to the right. Right. It wouldn't have been because of the wind. That was only at three knots. The rudder wasn't to blame either, according to the FDR and the physical evidence. Blame on the brakes was also rejected based on the tracks on the ground. In fact, the trail of the brakes indicated that asymmetric braking was applied to correct the yaw to the right, 
There was no evidence of seizing in the brake disc. Which means, I have one paragraph left. Yes, which means they were fighting very hard to bring the airplane back to center. I don't understand then what's wrong then. I Here it comes. Understand. Here it comes. What else is there? Pilot error. No. Well, Actually. we know that there was a warning light for the number two thrust reverser. Right. A technical examination of the left engines found that a nut that should have joined a valve to the ducts of the actuating cylinders on the clamshell doors of the number two engines had completely separated. To understand the extent of this issue, you have to understand how clamshell thrust reversers work. The thrust reverser doors open and reverse the direction of airflow, opening like a clamshell. So to maximize reverse thrust, you use full thrust on that engine. Right. If you don't have a thrust reverser, now engine number two is operating at full thrust forward. Oh. So while they thought they were doing reverse thrust, what was actually happening was... One side was going forward, the other side was trying to go back, and that's why they veered off. And so beyond that even... That's also why they weren't slowing down. Yeah. So I can understand the mentality in this case. What happened was, okay, he thought number four engine wasn't working, but it actually was. That's a whole other thing. He decides to slow down, abort the takeoff, slow down, goes into thrust, you know, reverse thrust. He then assumes that the veering right is because the number four engine engine, isn't doing what it's, isn't operating normally. Yeah. So he actually reduced reverse thrust on the right side, which was actually the wrong thing because the number two engine on the left side was the reason why was producing thrust because when you go into reverse thrust, it revs the engines up. And because the clamshell didn't deploy, it was actually just producing thrust. The number one was reversing, however. So they're kind of counteracting one another too. But by reducing his reverse thrust on the right side, he actually made the problem worse, not knowing that. Well, but didn't, no they, way he, didn't he get an indication that the number two thrust reverser wasn't working? He got an indication that it wasn't stowed. So it was still out. He thought it could have been out, the but it never did. The indication purely meant that it was not stowed. It was it not secured. It doesn't mean it's deployed. It just means the doors aren't closed. The doors weren't fully closed, so it could produce thrust, theoretically. Because the bolt had sheared now, like, it's, it's probably popped out of the locks. Right. But it couldn't go into full reverse either okay so now it's hanging and it's still producing thrust so now the situation's made worse by that and the, we'll get to this but because of that they realized some design flaws in the 707 where there's nothing that could indicate to, actually indicate to you that the thrust reverse on the number two engine wasn't working well and i hate to say this but it's a good thing that happened on the ground because i yes. mean we covered <laughs> You know, Lauda, 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 where, you know, it accidentally deployed in flight and that was a disaster. That one was horrible. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I hate, like I said, I hate saying that that happened on the ground because people died. Like, it wasn't wasn't good, but some people survived, which is more in the air. Right. More than can say for other accidents. That just there was like no way there was like no winning. Nope. No, there was crew did nothing wrong. Right. There's absolutely no winning. Like, the, I can't think of a way of them to be to have been able to, like, prevent that from happening. The ultimate thing, that the only way, basically, that they could have prevented this specific accident from happening was to have continued the takeoff. Right. Everything else was pretty normal during the initial takeoff roll. They but, could have taken off, but... Three, if I was him, I would have aborted. Yes, agreed. He didn't do anything wrong Yeah, because he thought procedures. that an engine was out. Right. You have two engine indications. 
But me- stop. mechanically for the airplane, that may have been the better thing to do was to get airborne, right. actually. The problem is, is you still have to land and then... Yeah, but then you have reverse. the same issue but with the thrust reverse. Correct, which they didn't know about. However, assessing the situation, they would have had more time to assess the situation and seeing that amber light, they might have been able to make the decision to actually shut the number two engine off. They could have even decided to shut the number two and the number four engine off just to get rid of the indications and right. not even think about them. And fix they some still of the have, asymmetric nature. Right. Then they still have an engine on both wings operating. Right. A little asymmetric because they're not the but same engine. But that's engines. like a real big if, right? It like, is a big if. And again, they didn't technically do anything wrong. They did everything per procedures and they didn't have technically. enough. technically. They didn't do anything wrong. Right. Well, they didn't have enough indications. Well, the only reason I say technically is because they didn't have enough indications in the cockpit to make it actually informed decision and that is what basically this report boils down to we'll talk about that in the second half okay well we'll come back in the second half yes okay we're back we do have all the normal stuff to do actually but because this is an icao circular and an old report it's very succinct there's actually a lot of findings Uh but they're all very short Uh. so i'm gonna read almost all of them okay the first few are exactly what you imagine they are, the yeah. same that are always there. But, I mean, they're this short. The crew held the required licenses. Yeah. They, they're that short. <laughs> so it's not even and worth... And they like, did. Yes, yes. It's not even really worth bringing any of that up. But we'll start here. They found that the pilot in command, or the captain, acted in accordance with the prescriptions in the operations manual. It's a weird way of putting... This is why he I followed think, procedure. This is why I definitely think they had some local help, <laughs> because some of it's written a little strange. But he followed procedures. For the manuals, the operations manuals. They found that on the Boeing 707-331, that's the variant, the specific variant, the information supplied by the reverse thrust system warning light regarding the position of the clamshell doors is inadequate. In the subject case, it was out of setting. So, again, there's not enough information provided with this, this reverse thrust, this door, these doors, the clamshell doors, to actually tell them what was and was not working, or the position of them. On a modern aircraft, you can actually tell when the reverse thrust has been fully deployed because they actually have like green indications on the displays. And this is really helpful. Same thing with the spoilers. To tell you how much reverse you're going to have and how proper it is, it tells you specifically when everything is fully deployed. Because basically they hit actual like physical stops, and on those physical stops are just little indication sensors. And that's it. Simple as that. It was a simple fix, right? And so they're able to say in modern operations, typically your, your run-through on touchdown, the spoilers will deploy automatically. So you'll say, spoilers deployed. And then you'll throw the reverse thrust levers up as soon as you touch down. And another call-out is reverse is green. Gotcha. That indicates all the reverses yep. are out. They didn't have that. Would have been really useful information. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Ultra useful information. Could have saved everybody's life. They found that the takeoff data in present manuals apply and are valid only in the case of maneuvers conducted by the captain or the pilot in command in person. It's a little bit of a vague way of saying like what's in the manuals can only be really confirmed or applied by the captain in person. It's, I don't know, it's a little strange. Yeah. They found that in the manual, aborted takeoff is not considered an emergency maneuver. Really? Which, to be fair, it's still not really. It's technically a normal procedure for any abnormal indication. It's just what you do if you're below V1. That's 
pretty simple. Okay. Yeah, but I would say, like, you would only do that if there was an emergency present. Mm, yes and no. Because, I mean, this happens. You'd be surprised. This happens pretty much on a daily basis all over the world. A, a bunch of times. I mean, I see it all the time, actually, in Denver. You'd be surprised. If any little indication is off, it's not necessarily a, a an emergency. They will just opt to abort the takeoff. Something seems a little off. Eh, we're not going to go. As long as you're below V1, you've briefed it. You know what's going to happen. That's a totally viable thing to do. Again, this, this procedure's pulled off almost perfectly every time in the modern day because the systems are there to do it. We've developed procedures that work. But at the time, it seems, aborted takeoff. It's not that it wasn't necessarily thought out, but maybe it needed a little more help. They found that acceleration of the aircraft was normal. They found that the decision to abort takeoff was taken before reaching V1. They found that the thrust reversing system in the number two engine was impaired, which was actually worse than the number four engine problem, and that engine therefore continued to supply forward and asymmetrical thrust during the deceleration phase. They found that it is certain that the pilot in command or the captain moved all four levers beyond the interlock position, which is what puts it into reverse thrust. They found that the deceleration was slower than expected in a regular. They found that the aircraft was submitted to pronounced and continuous yawing moment. They found, or veering to the right. They found that the aircraft traveled beyond the declared runway limit, the edge of the runway. Thereafter, hitting the number four engine on a power roller operating in a work area authorized in accordance with the ICAO standards. So how close they can be to a runway, basically. They found that fuel spilled from the vent scoop in the right wing, admitting fire onto the system, or into the system. They found that the fire warning device failed to operate, which is another big key thing. They didn't really have the chance to put it out. But also, I'm not sure it would have done them a lot of good. <laughs> because the fire spread very, very quickly and was in the fuel tanks. So, not a lot to be done there. There's also a lot of external fire. Uh, Yeah. Fuel spilled everywhere? Yeah, and on fire. The pictures of this are very dramatic, by the way. I haven't even looked, to be honest. Uh, it's super dramatic. It's it's basically the left wing with the engines, and the rest is just completely gone in a big cloud of smoke. Oh, I see. Yeah. They found that the explosions which occurred very shortly after the aircraft stopped were followed by a fire of vast proportions. Yes, because of all the fuel. Yes, and the explosions. Yes. <laughs> they found that the biggest explosion occurred in the center fuel tank. No, really. Which is also super not great. Yeah, because that's where all the passengers are. Yes, and super not safe. Like, that. clearly that's a design flaw if it has the ability to get there. Don't get me wrong. Like, things can happen that make that happen. But for it to shear the right, the furthest right engine, and for the fire to propagate enough to actually ignite the center fuel tank, is a problem in and of itself. Aircraft are designed these days not to ever let that happen, which is actually a big topic with the A321 XLR. They've had to reduce the range by almost 200 miles, which is actually a really big problem for Airbus because that 200 miles was what sold it. And they're having to do that because the EASA and the FAA both went to Airbus after they saw the design of the center fuel tank, this larger center fuel tank that they built for the range and said that's not insulated enough to prevent a major fire under the cabin. Oh. Which, ironically, has something very similar to the other TWA-800 
actually. Yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually. They have one very big thing in common, unfortunately. The explosion of the center fuel tank. Yes. That is ironically Ouch. very horrible. But that's exactly what happened in both cases. They found that the emergency exits to the wings of the Boeing 707-331 were difficult to open and use because of the seats. This what? was a... Did they put the seats too close to the exit? They must have. That's a horrible Something idea. was off with this. They found that there were difficulties in using the escape chutes, the slides. Oh, that's not good. No. And they found that the rescue units from two different stations reached the scene approximately three to five minutes after the aircraft stopped, which in today's age is, is way too late. Way too late. And in this case, too, it was because by that point they had probably already had all of the explosions. Yeah. That was just compounding issues and very ugly evacuation is what that was. Yeah. And very bad design. Ultimately, mm -hmm. in a few areas, one, the center fuel tank, which just shouldn't be allowed to explode after a fire from the furthest engine. Yeah. And two, a massive design flaw in the reverse thrust system, not telling you when it is and is not deployed. That's just a big leap of faith every time you land, if you ask me. Uh, no. Hoping that they all yeah. actually operate. Because obviously, if one of them doesn't and you can't tell that and you can't tell which one it is either. You You're can't diagnose that like that when you have to, and then you end up veering off of a runway and hitting construction equipment and bursting into flames. Right. So, that was all the findings. Good lord. Lots of them, but they're really short. The cause or probable cause or causes. <laughs> That's what it says. Damage to the reverse thrust system of the number two engine, not discernible by means of cockpit instruments, and consisting in the disconnection of a duct with resulting lack of pressure in the pneumatic clamshell door actuating mechanism. Yes. The thrust reverser didn't work. Yep. This malfunction allowed the development of considerable forward thrust by number two engine, even though the four levers were in the reverse position. Yeah. Yep. Rupture of fuel feed tube to number four engine by impact with a power roller and resulting ignition of spilled fuel. Failure of surge tank drainage because of a blocked valve, forcing the fuel out through the vent scoop and permitting access of fire to the wing. That was the big design flow we were talking about. That's where the fuel was filling out of the scoop. Went, the fire went up that into the fuel tank. Yep. And last, presence of fuel air vapor. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Not unlike the other TWA-800. Yes. Correct. Formed in the tanks in explosive proportions, which caused the explosions when ignited. Yep. Yep. No, there's no parallels here at all. None. TWA-800 was a bad flight number. Yeah, they should have gotten rid of it after the first one. <laughs> after the first one? Yeah. No, they didn't. And then they did it again. That's some bad juju. Really bad juju. All right. Recommendations. A handful of these. Operational recommendations. They recommended that airworthiness and operational standards be developed for takeoffs performed by the co-pilot. This was actually a very specific issue, and they didn't dive into this very deep, but from the, my understanding is that T, they believe that TWA and airlines in general didn't have enough procedures around first officers having control during takeoff. Basically, if everything was normal, fine, and dandy, that the takeoff would be normal, the procedures would be handled normally, and it didn't matter which pilot was flying. But... If there was an emergency or a change or an irregular an irregularity in the takeoff, 
that immediately everything reverts to the captain and the first officer basically does not much. Yeah. Because which, this is before CRM. Yeah. Because <laughs> CRM, this was what, 10 years before it was even really thought of as yeah. a thing yet. So, right. So this was before CRM, and they're kind of hinting at it here where they're like, maybe we should think about some procedures for the first officer. So that they he can help? So they that, can help? Yeah. That that first officer might be of some good in a regular operation. Service? Yes. They recommended that aborted takeoff procedures be included in the emergency procedures for practical purposes. Again, For training I, purposes. For It's one thing to train it, but I don't think it should necessarily be an emergency procedure because it's not. Again, it's a regular procedure you do. It's something you brief every time. Should something be off, we're going to abort the takeoff. We'll reassess the situation after we abort. Great. So it's not that complicated of a thing that they're describing there, but it's a matter of more training, I think, than making it a, a part of emergency procedures. Right. It's just training that what to do when you have to do an aborted takeoff. And more than anything, what they are trying to get at, and what I understand a little bit, is when you're faced with an irregularity during your aborted takeoff like this, where it wasn't even necessarily the irregularity before the aborted takeoff that was the problem, it was the irregularity after the aborted takeoff that was the problem, then that becomes an emergency, and what do you do? So, there's that. Technical recommendations. These are the big ones. They recommend that a system be installed to indicate the successive position of the reverse thrust clamshell doors. In other words, something be installed that tells them when the reverse thrust doors are fully open. That's an important one. They recommend checking for tightness of all connections in the pneumatic thrust reversing system. Yeah, since a single bolt shearing is what caused this, or a single nut or something. Yeah, this was a really short recommendation that should have been drawn out maybe a little bit more. But basically, they should have added that an inspection be in place yep. and that it, they should also maybe consider replacing those bolts so that doesn't happen again. Pretty now, sure it was a nut. Sorry. Yeah, or a nut. But that to that end, I'm sure Boeing did because I'm sure they didn't want this to happen again. And I don't know of any other 707 accidents that had any similarities to this, although that's not to say that there weren't. They recommend that consideration be given to a modification whereby the fire warning system would be fed in parallel by all sources of electrical energy available on board. That one's a little bit of a convoluted statement, but what they're trying to say is that fire systems be able to indicate that there's a fire no matter which electrical system it's using. Right. Which I kind of understand, and yes, this is true, but at the same time, it really wouldn't have done them any good. This is very much an afterthought. They were already stopped. The airplane was fully in flames. They had no time to react to anything, and not that any of the fire extinguishers would have done anything. Three more. They recommend that studies be conducted regarding systems designed to eliminate the danger of explosion in fuel systems and the entry of fire through ventilation outlets. That seems Weird. like a super important one. That seems like you should probably have figured that out already. Me thinks that that might be the entire actual problem here. Didn't we cover recently another scoop vent fire issue? Yes. Yes. I feel like we did. Mm-hmm. When? Don't ask. No. Nope, but we definitely did. Yeah. Needless to say, some things have changed in the industry, and now fuel vents aren't allowed to just be free-flowing up and back. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. It's yeah. almost like you shouldn't do that because it's a fire hazard or something. Yeah. So that's changed. And additionally... Fuel systems and the fuel tanks, i.e. the center fuel tank, 
is super insulated and there's all sorts of I can tell you for a fact that there are all sorts of procedures in place all throughout the industry to prevent center fuel tanks from having any issues at all. Right. They are ultra protected. Not just because of this center fuel tank fiasco. No, but because of multiple. And even when it comes to because there have been other instances, but for example, and I can tell you because this is something that unfortunately is very ingrained in my mind due to work. When it comes to loading cargo or bags or anything of that nature in the forward and the aft holds that abut the center tank, so all the way at, you know up next to the tank on either side, right? There are procedures for that. If it's bulk loaded, it has a very thick wall. What does bulk loaded mean? Means the bags are just thrown in the hold. Instead of uh, containerized. Container and container, yep. When it comes to containerized, they actually, this is an interesting one. Most airlines revert to having the fullest containers, which have to be pretty darn full, actually. Usually a, a percentage, although it depends on the airline. They have to be, the fullest ones have to be up against the fuel tanks, that center fuel tank, as protection. Yeah. From other objects in the, the cargo hold. And... The side that opens from the container, because they're usually a net or a fabric or, you know, some kind of softer yeah. material. They're soft-sided containers. That cannot be facing the fuel tank, because if the bags shift or move, we don't want them to fall into and puncture the wall. Right. Or cause any dents or issues or anything like that. So they have to be facing away. But that full container still should be up against the tank to prevent anything else from falling toward the tank. Right. Crazy. Procedures like that exist because that is, should be a very protected thing. <laughs> it's right below the passenger cabin and is a large tank of flammable fluid. <laughs> so that's a whole thing. Two more. They recommend that the efficiency of the drainage system of fuel surge tanks be improved, which, yeah, okay. That came as a little bit of a different piece to this but still part of the whole fuel spillage and leakage thing. Yeah. And finally, they recommended that the emergency exits to the wings be made more readily accessible and that a more rapid and less difficult method of use of escape chutes be developed. Check. This, this, they did that. Yes. More specifically, this is talking about, like, yeah, changing so that the doors are more accessible and that the chutes or the slides are easier to use. Check. Couldn't tell you specifically what the exact issues were in this case, but this, those definitely changed. Now we have very efficient systems for evacuation because they have to prove things per the ICAO and the IATA. ICAO. ICAO and IATA. IATA. Why IATA? Anyways. Okay. Well. That was TWA 800, but not that the was... TWA 800 you want us to do. No. The other one. And the we other won't do one. the other one because there's too much... Conspiracy. Conspiracy yes. behind it. TWA 800 in 1964. So, yes. Th that one was easy for you to remember. <laughs> yes, only because it, it's another famous crash yes. that we have discussed. Yes. All right, people. You know you know what time it is. You need to give us money. <laughs> you, don't you don't need to do need anything. To you don't give us need money. to. Your listenership is more than sufficient support. Thank you. That's all right. But, 
But there are a million and one ways. I'm joking. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for listening in general. If Brendan were here, he would keep doubling down on giving his money. (laughs) Just like he used to. We need to have that boy on here again sometime. It's been a minute. Well, now he has more time because marching band's over. Finally. But yeah. Yes. I don't. And then yes, just do all the things. uh, Like subscribe. Yeah. Leave comments and recommendation and whatever and answer the the questions on spotify yes. and all that fun sign up stuff. for the our, newsletter our episode planning list is almost a year out no i think it is now it is a year out. is it finally oh think, my god i think it's fairly close now because i just put in a ton more we had a lot recently it is it is a week away from being a year oh, out. Oh, man, guys, you got close. Well, that is there's, the closest there's we've... more stuff that's come in since then that I haven't. Okay, then so, it's a year out. There you go. We officially finally crossed Yay! a year's worth of recommendations. Yeah. That so. has never happened until no, now. Not not till now. Isn't that amazing how we've done all of these big ones? And I think what what like where are people finding these recommendations? I know there's lots of accidents out there, but I'm like, do people really want us to keep talking about these? <laughs> But yes, yes, they do. Enough to have literally a whole nother year's worth. There is a duplicate date on here. No, no, no. There's a no. duplicate date, but it they're is. different events. I know, because yeah. I double checked it, and someone caught me on it. I think it was Justin. Thank you, Justin. Um, because he was like, that's not the same thing. And I was like... <sighs> that is wild. Well, that's fun. Because we covered the Aeroflot flight. Uh-huh. And this oh. is, an, is a military Different. crash. Wow. So Bad day. <laughs> so you'll okay. get to hear that like next year. Because, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you'll hear that on October 22nd, 2024. Wow. That is wild. On the five-year anniversary of our podcast. Wow. That's wild. That's crazy. That's great. Cra- that's going to be a special day. We're going to have to do something special for that day. It's a nap. I want to take also that. yes I feel like this is just always such a busy time of year I feel like we're gonna forget and not do anything <laughs> I mean, that's what happened this year so all right we got we got another episode to record so thank you so much for listening Thanks. we really we really really do appreciate it yes we cannot keep going without you guys listening yeah for so, sure thank you so much and thank you so much for the feedback if you want some solid entertainment and and, and go listen to the post episode for this one guys this is where we give you guys the recap of 90% of our trip. Yeah. All which but the last two days wasn't of our trip. The, yeah, which actually wasn't the hardest part of the trip. I wouldn't even say it was 90%. I'd say it's about 50-50. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're doing a whole other post episode next week on the other two days. <laughs> Not out and of those eight. two days. Two days out of eight. <laughs> are the worst days of the entire trip. Yeah. So. Boom. <laughs> Anyways, you'll, Thanks you'll, so- <laughs> you'll understand that eventually. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you have a safe and healthy week, and we'll catch you all next week. Keep your speed up. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy and edited by The Lovely Page. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.